to warm up or yeah what, what what do we tend to do the cup of tea yeah okay i'll tell you what i'll be really quick then eh so you can have a real quick cup of tea there's a nod of approval in the front row going yeah please get on with it um brian and Anna are away so you drew the short straw and got me so i'm really sorry about that um Got to talk to you very briefly about Word for Today for UCB. Here it is. It's at the back. But I've got a challenge for you before I bring you the Word of God. It's always good to give a challenge before you give the Word of God because hopefully the Word will be much more challenging than anything I could ever put on the table. So I'll get this out first. Okay, we've got the new edition, November, December, January. It's at the back. This is Mont Blanc in the back. The roof of Europe. Okay. And the reason it's on there is because many years ago I was there with my son. He was about 12. I was out of breath as we got to the top. But I looked across the roof of Europe and I thought, how amazing is God? It's the highest point you can go in, I suppose, Western Europe in that respect. It's the highest place you can be. And you literally look out over the roof of Europe and you see God's majesty and God's glory and God's creation that blows my mind every time I see it. So the whole emphasis for Word for Today this time is reaching up, reaching in, reaching out. So as we reach up to God with our own personal lives, we can actually then reach into ourselves and make sure that we're all right, reach to our families, and reach out to our communities. So it's all about reaching further in the kingdom of God. We hope that it will encourage you. But I know you've got your own copies and you've got your, your, uh, your supply of Word for Today as normal, but I've got a bit of a challenge for you. And the challenge is, as we are now in December, almost at Christmas, dare I say it, dearie me, I have a bundle of 40 words for today, and I don't want you to take your church's stock, I want you to take extra stock. Put your hands up. Everybody put your hands up, because I know you've all got, yeah, you've got five fingers. Think of five people who could receive word for today as an evangelistic tool, and take five copies from me. All right? That's the challenge. Praise God. Amen. Thank you very much for having me. I really honestly do love coming to be with you. I think I speak more in this church than I speak in any of the churches across the country, and it's a pleasure to be with you. It really is. And I think you're also very foolish in the fact that you have me back all the time. But that's all right. That's okay. I want to talk to you today about, is he your I am? I am. I am what? I'm gorgeous. I'm handsome. I am. What does it mean, is he your I am? You have to go back into the Old Testament to look at what, what that means, what that phrase means. And you go back into uh, the book of Exodus, Exodus 3, and we're going to skip through the scripture, so you probably won't be able to follow me too much. But Exodus 3, 7, it begins this, reading from the NIV. It says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So, I've come down to rescue them from the land, uh, from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out into the land that is good and spacious, a land flowing with milk and honey. I've never seen that. I don't know what kind of mess that would make, but never mind. Anyway, a land flowing with goodness. That's what God was saying. Provision, goodness. I'm going to provide for you, provide for my people. Uh, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pez- Pe- I forget it, all those people, uh, the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, 
go, I am sending you. God is talking to Moses here. Go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Full stop for a second. Who was Moses? He was raised as Pharaoh's brother. For 40 years, he was a prince of Egypt. He knew the palaces. He knew the staff. They knew him. Had they, had he have turned up, bit of a shave and a wash, but had he have turned up, they would have bowed to him because he came from Pharaoh in that respect. He was raised. We know the story. I'm not going to get into the story of Moses and the basket. What I'm trying to say was he, in his unconfidence, what's the word I'm looking for? But unco- he wasn't confident enough to go before his half-brother, step-brother, whatever you call him, and say, let my people go. Because he'd been 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep. And yet he'd seen the miracles of God. How many of us have ever seen a burning bush talk to us that doesn't burn? Exactly. Moses did. He has seen the provision of God. He has seen all the things of God. And yet he turns to God and he says, I can't go to Pharaoh. I wonder if God went, uh, do, you, do you know who you're going to speak to? doesn't say exactly the context of the conversation, but God does step up and he says this. God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that I have sent you when you've brought the people out of Egypt to worship in this mountain. And Moses said, he's trying to get out of this deal, okay? God's saying, like, go, I'm going to be with you, and when you're afraid, we're going to worship. Done deal. But Moses still argues the point. How many of us argue with God? Okay, come on. Moses still argues the point. And he goes, hold on a second. Um, who am I? Who? Moses said, suppose I go to the Israelites and they say, well, the God of your father sent me to you. And they ask, what's his name? God, I don't know your name. So what's your name? If I go to your people, the Israelites, and I say, God sent me. Did you ever watch the commitments? God sent me <laughs> on a Suzuki. <laughs> I watched it recently. Who was your man? God sent him <laughs> on a Suzuki. What am I going to say to the Israelites? What? That God sent me? Who sent me? What's your name? What's your name? I don't even know your name. And you're, going to, you're putting me in front of Pharaoh. I'm going to get my head chopped off. And you want me to call the people out of slavery. They've been slaves for 400 years. Uh, like, what authority have I got this to do? Uh, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am sent me. That's enough. I am sent me. That's enough. That's the seal. Two words. I am. You see, we don't need the big trumpets. We don't need the heralding of the moment. We don't need, if you're in Buckingham Palace outside the railings, you don't need the changing of the guard to say that an hour has changed on the clock. Having lived in the UK for 30 years, I know the respect that you would need to give to any member of the royal family. 
the same respect that you should give to any person that you meet on the street. But actually, when you're going on the roll for somebody else, you have to have a seal of approval from somebody. You have to have a message or a letter. So many centuries ago, you would take a letter from the king, it would have his seal of approval on it in wax. That was the authenticity of your message. I am sent you. So that's the context we come today when I ask you the question, is he your I am? God himself said, when you go before Pharaoh, or when you go before the Israelites, tell them, I am sent you. Because they had no other word for God other than I am. They knew who he was, the greatness of who he was. I am. So that's our context for today. All right? Let's take a quick look as I flick through some of these things. There are seven I am's of Jesus in the New Testament. In John chapter 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He's the one who sustains us. In John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He guides us. He's a beacon for salvation. In John 10, 7, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. So he's a place of safety. He's a protector. He's still I am. This is the context. I want you to grab this, okay? In John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, the one who cares for you. In John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. The statement I am is the authenticity of what follows. It's the qualification for what follows. When he says, I am the resurrection and the life, that is the truth. Because God the Father said it to Moses so many centuries ago. When the people want to know who I am, just say, I am sent me. That's your authority. In John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only one way to, salva- only one way to salvation. The plumb line for life. In John 15, 1, he says, I am the true vine, the one truth. They're the seven I am's of Jesus, all in the New Testament, in John's Gospel. So the question I'm going to ask you again as we go through this, and I will ask you more and more, is, is he your I am? Yeah, of course he is. Sunday morning. Of course he is. What about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? And hey, both my hands are up. There's no camera, but if there was, you'd see both of my hands are up. Because I have to ask myself that question all the time. What about, what about, what about? It's easy on a Sunday. Easy. A couple of years back, I was in Caesarea Philippi. Get me dropping names and places. Israel, anybody been to Israel? All right, you've got to make it a, a, Listen, I know it's expensive, but if you could ever get to the stage where you go to Israel on a tour, even on a UCB Ireland Bible Lands tour maybe next year, we're going to put one of those together. To go to the Holy Land, to go to Israel, to actually be where Jesus was, is staggering. Not because you go, oh, I wonder if Jesus walked on this stone. But you see what he saw. You see the landscape he saw. You understand the culture of his time. You understand that our Lord and and Savior would have walked these hills. The Beatitudes were read from this mountain, and I'm sitting on it. 
The Sea of Galilee has changed, but this is where he walked on water. The garden tomb. Gethsemane. Staggering. So we were on a tour, a UCB uh, Bible Lands tour in 2012, I think it was. I was there this year as well. But we went to Caesarea Philippi, and Caesarea Philippi is recorded in Matthew 16, 13. Anybody know what it is? Caesarea Philippi was a gift to the son of the then Caesar. And it was called Caesarea Philippi. Um, Caesarea Philippi was worse than Temple Bar on its darkest night in the world. It was worse than the Strips of Vegas. Now, the Strips of Vegas, the main strip in Vegas is very clean. I've been to Vegas a number of times for very different reasons. And the main strip of Vegas is very clean. It's very healthy. It is all the casinos and the hotels, but it shows and it's theater. When you go back to the more seedier streets, that's where it becomes something different. Caesarea Philippi was a place where you could get what you want, when you want, how you want, wherever you want, and what any time of day you wanted it. It was the party capital of the known world. And we know this because historians have recorded it. So I didn't know what it was like until the first time I went. When you get there, you can see all the different places. You can see the pools. You can see everything. There's no buildings left because it's you know 2,000 years ago that Jesus was there. But you can get a sense of what it would have been. You can understand with the, the layout of, of what's there what it would have been. So that's setting the scene for you, okay? It has all the noise, all the distractions of the world. It has everything that you would want and more. Because Caesar gave it to his son and said, go knock yourself out, have a great time. It was his town. So Jesus does this strange kind of thing. He takes the 12 apostles... And we go on a little journey with Jesus, go on a little walk. He always walked. Now, when you see Israel, you realize how he could walk. It's actually very small in, in the grand scheme of things. So you could understand why he walked everywhere. And it could take a couple of days to get somewhere. Oh, I can see it. I can actually see it over there. And I can see it. Oh, yeah, I can see how he could do that. No problem. So he takes the, the disciples on a walk. Now, what else do we know about the disciples? We know that only two of the disciples were of a mature age, the Bible would say. Why do we know that? We know that only two people had to pay tax. Jesus and Peter. Because they were over a certain age. The rest of them didn't, which meant they were young. How old are you, sir? 24. They were younger than you. Stay with me here as I talk to you about something. Jesus, the master, the rabbi, the one that most of them went, he's going to overthrow the Romans, the one that they put their trust in, they had been following for a bit of time now, not a huge amount, but they were kind of getting to know this guy. He takes them on a journey to the seediest, dirtiest, craziest place in the world. Jesus. Jesus does this? Holy Jesus does this. Yes, he does. And he walks. You can imagine. I can. Just, I love to do this. I close my eyes and I imagine it. And he walks down the center of the street. And you can imagine the young guys going, what's the rabbi doing? What's the rabbi doing? Can't look there. Mama's going to kill me when I get home. I can't go to synagogue tomorrow. What's going to happen? 
Oh, she's got no clothes on. Oh, I don't want that. that is, do, I, do I smoke that? Drink that? What do I? It was a crazy place. And Jesus takes him to this place. And you think, what on earth is this King of Kings, the Lord of Lords doing? Surely we should be talking righteousness and good living and godly. Surely we should, purity. What, what's he doing? I love what happens next. He says to them, guys, come here. Hush him. Come on. Huddle up. I know what people say about me. And you can imagine the guys at the back of the crowd going, if anyone sees me, I'm dead. Remember when you were kids, when you were teenagers, you used to go out at night and you wouldn't go home until 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock. And you wouldn't go, you, you'd go somewhere at night and you go, can't go to that place just in case Mrs. Mara down the road saw me. I'd be in, she'll, she'll tell me, Dan, he'll kill me. All of these, these young disciples must have been fearful of who would have seen them, who could have possibly recognized them. More than that, fearful of who they might recognize in a party capital when they're supposed to be holy people. All of these stupid, crazy things going on in their head. And Jesus goes, come here, huddle up. Huddle up. What do you mean? Get us out of here. Get me to a, a field. I don't care where we go. Just get me somewhere. Jesus goes, shh, 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 shh. I know what the world says about me. I know who they say I am. But who do you say I am? What a stupid question. In the middle of all the rubbish that's around them and all the temptations and all the distractions and all the bling and all the money and all the gambling, Jesus goes, who am I? And very quickly they start to bring out, some, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Moses, some say some, Jeremiah, they're, they're trying to shut him up, get us out of here. Get us out of here. And Peter, I love him. First time I think I spoke here, I spoke about Peter being a hero. I love him. Because in the middle of the absolute, he turns around and goes, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And Jesus' response is great. He goes, yeah, Peter, you've got it. You've got it. You've seen it. He said, let me tell you something, Peter. Upon this rock, I will establish my kingdom. Where did Jesus establish his kingdom? Where did he put the seal of approval on it? In holy church? In holy synagogue on the Sabbath? No. Where did he put it? In the place that needs it most. And he said, this is where we're going to do it. This is where we're going to do it. Let me give you a bit of Greek mythology. I'm really, really clever man. I really am. Greek mythology says this very site of Caesarea Philippi is the lake and the cave of the gate of death and life. Greek mythology talks about Hades and uh, who was it? Uh, Orpheus and Eurydice. You know that story from Greek mythology days? Did you ever do that as kids? Uh, my son had to do it when he was about eight. It was ridiculous. 
Greek mythology says this is where life crosses over into the underworld. Now, why do you think Greek mythology would pick up on that? Because maybe there was a bit of like underworld stuff going on. And Jesus establishes his kingdom right in the middle of where it's needed. A couple of other things you need to know about it. Upon this rock, everybody goes, well, Peter, Petra, the rock. Yeah, that's true. Caesarea Philippi is a dirty, great big cliff face. It's a massive cliff. At the bottom of the cliff, you have all the buildings. At the top of the cliff, you have the waterfall where the water came down into the lake. Jesus wasn't stupid. Upon this rock right here. Guess where Caesarea Philippi is situated? Right at the north of Israel. And from that point... They traveled south, and they changed the world. From that point, they traveled south and changed the nation and changed the world. Just 12 of them. See, I wonder how many times Jesus takes us to a place. The Holy Spirit leads us to a place and goes, who do you say that I am? And not now, God. Can you wait till Sunday? No, I can't. No, I can't. Because actually it's easy to worship on a Sunday. It's easy for the Israelites and the Jews to worship in the synagogue because actually you have to be pious and holy. Back in the days of Jesus, there was rules, there was regulations, there was ways of doing things and you didn't cross that because the rabbi would have been really, really annoyed with you. And actually you might might have offended God. So you live by the rules on the Sabbath and you were good Jew in his day or you live by our rules on a Sunday and we're good Christians on Sundays because it's easy to raise our hands thank you for worship this morning it's easy to raise our hands when worship is being led with people who love the Lord it's easy all we've got to do is join in but tomorrow morning who do you say that I am? Tomorrow morning when you face another day in a bad job or another day without a job, who do you say that I am? Tomorrow morning when you face the potential picking up of an addiction, who do you say that I am? And I don't mean addiction as in, whoa, addiction can be anything. Okay? Eating too many biscuits with a cup of tea. Yeah. Or shooting up. Or in the world of business... Who do you say that I am? Oh, but that's a great deal. Is it right? No one will ever know. Who do you say that I am? Where's your witness? See, that's all Jesus was after in this den of iniquity. When all of the crazies are about, when all of the distractions are about, in the middle of this, who am I to you? And when we can say you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the King of Kings, you are my Lord of Lords, he goes, okay, fine, now know that I've got you. Because if, uh, if I am your, your I am today, just look back at history. What does I am mean? Hello. That's fine. What does I am mean? I love it. It's great. So I want to talk to you about, I want you to hold on to that question, all right? 
And we are coming, I'm not going to rush on, but we are coming to, to a close. So, but I want you, to, I want you to, to listen about this, okay? I want you to, for a moment, just think about your own struggles. I want you to think about your own life. I want you to think about your own circumstances. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front and divulge any secrets. There's none of that. But I am going to ask you this question. Are you willing to say you are my I am? And upon that, tomorrow, I will stand on that. That when it hits the fan, and it does, let's be honest, okay, just because we're Christians doesn't remove us from normal life. When it hits the fan, are you willing to be able to say, He is my I am? Let's zip forward three years to the Garden of Gethsemane. Beautiful place. Stunning place. Garden of Gethsemane is not very big. The Garden of Gethsemane is an area that overlooks the Kidron Valley, which is a dip in a hill. It's not big at all. And what you see is Jerusalem, right in front of you, the walls of Jerusalem. Behind the Garden of Gethsemane, over a hill, is Bethany, where Lazarus would have lived. Okay? And to this side, 500 meters away, is the Garden Tomb. Now, there's no papers to say... Hear ye, hear ye, Jesus was born and died and stood here and stood there and was buried in there. But they say that in terms of authenticity, it's probably 80 to 90% authentic that that was a garden tomb. The place where Jesus died on the cross is literally another 200 meters from that burial site. You know what it is now? It's a bus car park. And I love it because actually no one can fight over the most precious square meter of land ever. Because no one knows exactly where it is. It's somewhere in this area. So here's the thing. Thursday night after the, the uh, Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, they walked through Jerusalem. They walked down to Gethsemane. It is recognized that it was one of Jesus' favorite places to go. It's an olive grove. So he would have kind of nicked some olives and ate them. They were free to all. It was a public place. And people were coming and going all the time. It was just like... A local park here, whatever the local park is. It was just like that. That's what it was. But something really, really incredible happened in here. Jesus gets to a place where he decides that this place is the place that he's going to let it all go and let God. He's going to then say, even though he was God himself, God made man, he was going to then say, even in the middle of all that's distracting me, you are my I am. And whatever you have for me, that's okay, because you're my I am. I stood there the first time I was there. I've been there twice. And the first time I was there, I stood there with all sorts of things going on in my head. And I just felt God say to me, let it go. The places on the tour, when we bring people on the tour, we actually get to the Garden of Gethsemane, a private time, and we say to people, do your own thing. We will probably break bread or read scriptures and then say, you've got half an hour, go do your own thing. And it's amazing what happens in that half an hour. Some of the people on the tour, broken and weeping. Some of the people on the tour, hands just raised. Some of the people on the tour, just standing like in awe. And it's not because this is where Jesus stood. Somebody did ask us, where's the rock that he bled on? It is because you know that this is the place where Jesus made his mind up that we're worth it. He always knew 
There were some things that went on in Jesus at that point. It became for him a place of total commitment. Total commitment. Jesus could have run over the hill to Bethany and they wouldn't have found him. Scripture says that in the middle of a melee who had come to get him, he went through him like he was a ghost. They didn't even see him. He could have done it again over the hill. But no, he chose to stay. And he chose to stay and he looked and he thought, there's, there's Jerusalem. The next time I go through that gate, I'm going to be tried. There's the Jerusalem walls. There's the east gate. You know, the Muslims have, have bricked up the east gate of Jerusalem. How many of you know that when Jesus returns, he won't need a gate? He won't need a gate. So you look at the east wall now, there's a brick wall. In the, so Jesus would have gone through that gate to be tried. So here's the thing that God said to me in, in, in Gethsemane. Jesus, there was a, the, the points that came across my, my mind were, for Jesus, this place was a place of total commitment. It was a place of total trust. It was a place that there was no plan B. God doesn't have plan Bs. He doesn't deal with plan Bs. You are not his second choice. You're his choice for what he's asked you to do. End of story. He doesn't have, well, if you don't do it, you know, we'll get Kathy to do it. Actually, what we'll do is, actually, if Kathy can't do it, Brian will step in. What he's called you to do, he's called you to do it. He wants you to do it. For Jesus, it became a place of total surrender to the will of his Father. A place of no return. He knew that on that Thursday night, when he said, your will, not mine, and he was arrested, that was it. It had begun. More than anything else, and this is where I did weep on my first visit to Gethsemane. It was the place that Jesus said I was worth dying for. I want him to be my I am every day. But that's challenging. And I want you to know that when I stand before you here and I have the honor of speaking to you, we're all the same. We're all the same. I just know that actually more and more, maybe it's because I'm getting older, I want to hold on to him more and more. And I want him to be my am, my I am more and more. And actually there are days that works and there are days that it doesn't work. But what happens is he brings me back to it all the time. I know he can be my I am because the words came from God the Father himself. Tell them, I am sent you. So as I finish, I just want to pray with you. Another guy's going to come and sing one more song. And I just got to, I want to pray with you because it can be a challenge because life is not easy at times. Life is not a bed of roses. And I appreciate that for many people. So Father, today I thank you that you are our I am that we can put total trust in you, that your word says, I am the bread of life, the truth, safety. You, you say all these things in John, John's gospel. And then you call us each and every day to say, who do you say that I am? So whatever the circumstances, finances, jobs, heartbreak, loss, grief, uncertainty, movement, whatever those situations are for each and every one of us when we leave this building and get back to reality of life, I pray that you will be and we will let you be 
our I am. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.